witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It's not for your good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I say you are God's? If he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Amory Colt Glenister. This will never be the same. I love that phrase in the song that we sung. That were a grief I could not bear. Did thou not hear and answer prayer? But then it says, but thou art a hearing and an answering God. Let's go before him and pray. Father, we praise you that you have called us into your presence. We praise you that you have led us by your word. You have given us psalms to read and to sing. And you have given us an order of what it means to come before you as sinful women and men who, because of Jesus, can be relieved of that guilt of sin and of passion and of pride. Father, I think about what Samuel said and how he prayed that we might see ourselves as forgiven when we look in the snow. Father, I pray that to a woman and a man in this room, you would convince us that you are a God who indeed is more ready to forgive than we are ready to ask for forgiveness. And Father, I pray that you would convince those girls and that boy in this communicants class that you are a God who forgives when they confess. Father, I praise you that you show us a power that is like none other. And Father, we confess to you that we're addicted to power. 
We're a people who um, want power, who use power, who abuse power, and who are quick to judge those in power. And Father, we praise you that you have said that there is a power that is made perfect in our weakness. But we confess to you that it's really hard for us to believe that because we hate being weak. Lord Jesus, again, you call us your sheep. And we, at one and the same time, want that title, your sheep, and don't want to have to be sheep. We don't want to have to be sheep, but we're sheep. And Father, the reality of the grief that's in our lives that is heavy upon us, and for some of our families in the church, it's heavier today than it's been all year. That grief reminds us that we need a shepherd with a hook and a crook and a, and a, and a, and a staff who will guide us. Father, we pray that you would guide us beside quiet waters into green pastures that we would sit at your feet. Lord Jesus, we need to be restored. You know the women and the men of this congregation who need to be restored more than any of us. But Father, I praise you that you deal with each of us uniquely. And so do that now as we look at your word. Help us to see it. And seeing it, help us to turn and believe and repent and so that um, the joy that Samuel prayed for would pour forth from us and that by you, Holy Spirit, according to your power. And so we praise you as we turn to your word that you promised to make Christ known to us. And I pray that you would do so powerfully. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. My son is addicted to fitness, as you might know, and maybe some of you are as well. And he sent me this book called The Supple Leopard, which is this crazy thick book about stretching. And the whole idea is your, your stance, how, how your posture, if you're not straight up and down exactly as you were intended to be, you leak power in whatever you do and however you respond. You leak power. How do you all think about power? Because that's what this story is about. It's about power. The context of this story is the Feast of Dedication. It's a new feast for the Jewish folks. It was only at this point about 200 years old at the most. It's celebrated when Judas Maccabeus came and defeated the Syrians and drove them out of Jerusalem and rededicated the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes, in the early 2nd century, had come in and set up idolatry at the idol, or excuse me, at the altar of God in the temple in Jerusalem. And for the next three years, the Israelites fought back to see the Syrians pushed out of Jerusalem. Judas Maccabeus' name was the hammer. And for anybody that's grown up in the 80s, it's impossible to not think of WWF and what he must have looked like, Judas the Hammer, as he came to drive out those who were in the temple. 
That's the feast of dedication that was being celebrated here when Jesus was walking through the colonnade of Solomon in the temple. That's the story of the little guy who beat the big guy, the modern-day David and Goliath for the Israelites, if you will. And that power was all about political power. It was all about political power. And the Jews came to Jesus, as we read in these first few verses, and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us so plainly. And they were high on power and political power. And they wanted to know, are you the Messiah? The one whom will finally and fully set us free politically. There was here a deep desire for this political power. Political power always comes in the context of great division and great divisiveness, doesn't it? Hey, congratulations to us. Our city, Newton, we made it in the national newspapers for being one of the most divided cities known for that division in the context of our country over how we will handle COVID. Who is more powerful? The Jews wanted to know if Jesus was finally going to bring the power that they wanted. And Jesus responds to them in a way that shocks them. I want you to see in these few verses three things about power. I want you to see the powerful protection that Jesus proclaims. I want you to see the powerful works that he points to. And finally, I want you to know the powerful proclamation that you and I have because of Jesus. So look at, let's look at these together with me really quickly, if you will. Verses 22 through 31, this powerful protection that he claims. The Jews came and they asked him, are you the Christ? You're going to tell us plainly. And Jesus tells them very boldly, look, I've already told you and you didn't believe. He said, I've, I've told you already who I am and you haven't believed me. And then he also says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me but you don't believe them. And then in one point of very clear and plain speaking, Jesus says, you don't believe them because, in verse 26, because you are not among my sheep. How does Jesus know that? He says that by verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus' sheep do. Jesus' sheep know his voice. Jesus knows them. And then Jesus' sheep follow him. Nathan told us last week in the sermon about Jesus and the Good Shepherd that even in judgment, God leads with mercy. You could argue that God leads with mercy simply because he speaks. 
Because you could argue that it's God's right to judge and, and give us no reason to even judge. But even in his speaking, he's merciful, isn't he? And especially when his speaking is about delay of that judgment. And here is just one example of that. Jesus says, the reason you don't hear me, the reason you don't believe me, is because you're not my sheep. How many times have we seen in the Gospel of John already people crying out mercy to Jesus? And here's another great opportunity for somebody who's really struggling to believe who Jesus is. Jesus, would you have mercy on me? And would you give me eyes to see you that I would believe? Look, if you're here today and you say, you know something? I don't know if I've ever put my faith in Jesus I don't know if I can even concoct that kind of belief in me. This would be a great opportunity for you to cry mercy to God. Would you give me belief? What if you're one of the students who's grown up in this church or in another church and you go, you know something, I'm here because my parents have come, but I don't know if I've ever believed. This would be a great time to cry for mercy. And to say, Jesus, would you give me belief? Jesus gives these guys, even here, an invitation to repent and to follow him as he defines why they can't hear him. He essentially says this, look, both the words that I speak and the works that I have done are about power. But he says, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to do you one better. Listen to what he says about his sheep in verse 28. I, Jesus says, give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. I and the father are one. Jesus says, you want to know who I am? I am the one who is able to powerfully protect my sheep. One of the reasons that we don't grasp the magnitude of what Jesus just said is because we don't sing the song of Moses the way that the Israelites sing the song of Moses. If I were to sing a song to you like Amazing Grace and I said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, almost all of you would respond that saved a wretch like me. Because you know that song, right? There's a song that Moses was told to write down when Joshua was going to be commissioned to be the leader of God's people. And in that song is the only place that I know of in the entire Old Testament where it says that no one is able to deliver God's people out of his hands. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to do you one better. I give my sheep eternal life. They'll never perish. And no one will deliver them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Because those sheep whom the Father has given me, the Father is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. We would, as Israelites, as Jewish people, have the song of Moses in our head and understand the magnitude of what Jesus said when he said, the Father, I and the Father are one. Jesus says very clearly, 
We are, are of one will. We are of one power. I have the same power that the Father has to protect my sheep. And we are of one purpose. If you go and read Deuteronomy 32, that verse where that song is written says, See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Jesus essentially says to them, is this plain enough for you? And their response in verse 31 is, yes, it is obviously plain enough, right? What does verse 31 say? And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They got exactly what Jesus is saying. This is the question. Do you believe that Jesus is powerful enough to protect you? Is this where God has called you to follow him? Here? Newton and Wellesley and Concord and elsewhere? Is this where God has called you to follow him? To take up your cross and die. Jesus says in this passage... I'm going to tell you as clearly as I can who I am. No one can snatch my sheep from me. Children, when you of this church were born and baptized, your parents took a vow, and it was the third vow of your baptism, and it says, now do you unreservedly dedicate your child to God? Every time I hear people take that vow, my knees knock. Do I unreservedly dedicate my child to God? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to protect us the way that he proclaims right here? Because this passage is about power. And Jesus goes straight to it when he says that no one is going to be able to snatch my sheep from me. No one snatches sheep from the Father either. The Father and I are one. Jesus doesn't let it rest there because he wants us to realize that his works that he has done, speak to this end. If the first thing that we're supposed to hear is that Jesus is the powerful protector, the second thing is the powerful works that Jesus does in verse 32 through 39. Watch how Jesus answers these guys who have said, no, we're going to stone you. Jesus says in verse 32, I have shown you many good works from my Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? 
See what he did? He said, I've said something with my words and now you're ready to stone me. But Jesus says, look at the works that I've been doing. The works themselves and the power of those works are either blasphemous works or they speak to the truth that I and the Father are one. For which of those are you going to stone me, Jesus says. And of course they respond, it's not for the works that we're going to stone you, but it's that you claim to be God. And then Jesus does this incredible thing with Psalm 82. He pulls up Psalm 82 to them. And if you have just a second, you should pull over, you should, you know, turn over to Psalm 82 in your Bible. Um, somebody would have to shout out the number, but you can probably find it yourselves before we go to that kind of trouble. And we hear that the title of this psalm is that he rescues the weak and the needy. And in that psalm, God is speaking when he speaks to those his people whom he made after his own image, those who have failed to rescue the weak and the needy, those who have failed to seek justice for the fatherless, the afflicted and the destitute. And he says to them, you are gods, is what God says of those people. Sons of the Most High, all of you. And he says, nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall away like princes. That's the context of what Jesus is saying. He references that psalm where God is judging the faithlessness of his people. And Jesus says there, he goes, look, your own law says you are gods, sons of the Most High. And he's saying God has said that you are gods because we, created in the image of God, ought to be rescuing the weak and the needy, the fatherless, the afflicted, and the destitute. And Jesus says, do you say to the one whom God has sanctified, set apart, dedicated? You see, they were celebrating the feast of the dedication of the temple, the setting aside, the making holy, the sanctifying of the temple again. And Jesus is saying, the one whom God has sanctified, set aside and made holy and sent into this world. Because I say I am a son of God, you're saying that that is blasphemous? He looked at them and he said, I'm the one doing the works. Jesus says, who is doing the works? The works defined even here, the rescuing, the delivering of the sheep from the hands of the wicked, as it says in Psalm 82. The hands of the wicked, taking them and snatching them from the hands of the wicked. You see the connection. Jesus is saying, I'm the one. And he is saying, believe the works. How does he say it there in John 10? One more time, when you look at it. He says there in John 10. Verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And look at what he points to again are his powerful works. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But 
If I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. How are you supposed to know that Jesus is as powerful as he says he is? By the works that he has done. What did the Jews point back to at this point by the works that he had done? Well, we know that he has healed a man who has been lame. We know that he has healed a man who is blind from birth. And in just a few verses from now, we are going to see Jesus raise the dead. But that is not the work that you and I point to. Jesus, who is the one who is set apart and sent into the world by the Father, because the Father says that not one of my sheep will be snatched from me. And Jesus says, I will not let one of my sheep be snatched. Does the great work of the cross for you and me. The work of salvation, communicants class, the work of justification and sanctification and glorification, the work that he started and promised to complete, this is the work of Christ that ought to remind us that he is powerful to protect. So that the last thing that we might know is the powerful proclamation that is ours. This proclamation of the gospel is why we live here, daughters and sons of the king. It's not for all the good things that we get because we live here. It's why we live here that we might powerfully proclaim the works of Jesus. In John 20, Jesus says, even as the Father sent me, so I send you wherever he wants to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was famous to say, when our Lord said, follow me, he bid us come and die. Jesus says in Mark 8, if you spend your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will find it in the end, right? Paul said of the gospel that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. The power that we have is not wielded politically. It is the power of God for salvation, the proclamation of the gospel. And it's in our weakness that that power is made strongest. There's an old song that I used to sing that we haven't ever sung in this church, and maybe we'll figure out why and bring it back. But it says, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. 
You guys remember singing that? And usually it got really exciting before that song was over because it would repeat it over and over. And power, power, there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. The verses say, are you weighed down by the burdens of sin? Are you weighed down by the passion and the pride of your life? There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Do you want to know... You guys know that I'm not very political. Do you want to know what struck me out of this psalm today? This psalm this week? This song? Is that what I live for is passions. The passions, the experiences, the lusts of flesh that are in me. What I want to do. I go to another place and I think my life would be better if I lived in Idaho. Is what I think. And I began to create my life. And, and this idea of passions of the flesh overtakes me. That's what overtakes me. And what do I need for the passions of the flesh to be crushed in me? I need the power of the blood of the Lamb at work within me. That Jesus says, no one is going to snatch you from my hands, Bradley. Where do you need? the power of the blood today. That you might live for that powerful proclamation of the gospel. Church, it's not with silver or gold that you have been bought, but you have been bought with the precious blood of the lamb, Peter says. There is power in that blood. And that power is made known not in our own strength, but in our weakness. I told Dan that I wasn't just going to plug the Heidelberg Catechism class in the announcements, but that I was going to plug it in the sermon. Because this very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is the question that we need to think about. And think about the impact of the power that Jesus proclaims in this. The question simply says this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is this, that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in living, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed. Listen to this, church. Listen to this today. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
To follow Jesus is the mark of being his sheep. Jesus is safe to follow, not because you're not going to die. You are going to die. To follow Jesus means to take up your cross and die. To come after him. But the power that Christ offers is eternal life. So that you will never perish. And he says, I'm so powerful that no one will ever snatch you from me. The Father gave you to me, and he's the greatest of all, and no one can snatch him from him. I and the Father are one. Does this allow you and me to live in places of weakness and of need? So that the power of Christ would be made perfect in weakness. You're right. It's all about power and who's got it. But Jesus claims that he's got it. They knew it because they tried to stone him. Might we know it? as we seek to follow him. Pray with me.